Hey there, beautiful souls. Welcome to Beyond the Surface, where the saying to be seen is to be understood comes to life. I want to begin by first honouring the traditional custodians of the land we live and work on. I live and work on Gundungurra land and acknowledge the traditional landowners of my guests near and far. I pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging for they hold the memories, the traditions and cultures of our First Nations peoples. The land below my feet is, was and always will be Aboriginal land. I am no stranger to the profound journey of pain, grief, anger and heartbreak that often accompanies the loss of church, community, faith and the unwinding of our core beliefs. In the midst of this labyrinth, I found healing in the stories shared by others who have walked a similar path. Each tale, unique in its own right, weaves an invisible thread of connection, uniting us through the tapestry of religious trauma and healing. Here, in the warmth of these digital walls, I want you to feel at home. This is a haven where your memories are not just acknowledged, but deeply seen and believed. So kick back, relax, and let's embark on a journey where your story is not just heard, but embraced. Welcome to a community where storytelling is a powerful force. This is Beyond the Surface. Welcome, David. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Whereabouts in the world are you? Canada? Yes, I'm in yes. Eastern Canada. So, okay. yeah, I'm on the Atlantic side of the of the country. Yeah. Okay. Is it fairly chilly over there at this point? It's cold. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is warm here. So, um, oh, yeah. like, yes. <laughs> um, it's always interesting talking to people in the US and Canada over sort of Christmas and New Year's because um, it's freezing over there and we're all like sweating. Um, yeah. So, but I, I love winter, so I'm a little bit jealous. Um, oh, well, <laughs> I'm getting I'm getting tired of winter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, most people would know you as the naked pastor on social media and on um, on the online, um, but I can assure people who are listening, you are not naked. Uh, <laughs> where did the naked pastor come from? Uh, so the uh, the name naked pastor, I could tell you mm -hmm. where I came from, or naked pastor, but uh, naked pastor, uh, I I bought the um, URL nakedpastor.com back in two thousand and six, I think it was, mm -hmm. and it was during the time when the naked chef, the naked archaeologist, the naked truth, all that was kind of cool. Yep, and it, I wanted, I was a pastor at the time and I had begun blogging and I wanted my blog to be really totally honest about what goes on in the ministry and in the church and in Christianity. And it was just going to be real and raw and bare and honest. Mm -hmm. And so that's what the naked stands for. It doesn't stand for anything <laughs> inappropriate. Yeah. Um, it stands for me being, um, very, very honest about what I see going on in, in the ministry and in the church and okay. in the faith. Yeah. Naked in truth. I like that. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay, so where does your a lot of people don't like that? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean it. It it's good, but it's it, you know truth is hard to hear sometimes. I guess so. Um, it can be confronting. Um, mm. So where does your story start with faith, with life? Where does that start for you? Well, I grew up in a Christian home, mm. um, and. We moved around quite a bit, and so we weren't faithful to any one denomination. But when I was a, a teenager, um, I got born again, and we started going to a Baptist church. Okay. And then we switched to a Pentecostal church, and then I went to a Pentecostal Bible college. That's where I met my wife, Lisa. Mm -hmm. Then uh, I went to an evangelical seminary, uh, Gordon-Conwell in the U.S., and, um, you know, from there, I... I went into the Presbyterian church mm -hmm. and um, stayed in the Presbyterian church. I got ordained there and everything and served the Presbyterian church for quite a while. And then switched to Vineyard, which um, a lot of people might not know what the Vineyard is, but it's kind of like Hillsong. So if you've heard of Hillsong um, and its style, yeah. uh, that's what the Vineyard is very much like. I actually, um, I think I know Vineyard based on their music, um, yeah. like the music from Vineyard Church. Um, yeah. But um, so lots of different denominations, you know, that's yeah. a lot of different ways of doing church. Yeah, I call myself my own ecumenical movement. It's like yeah. I say, like the uh, um, we moved around a lot and we weren't devoted to any one denomination or kind of church. And so we just went to where it was convenient or what we liked and and so I, I, I never had uh, a sense of loyalty to any one um, denomination or one theology or, you know, whatever. I, I really did float around a lot. So I think, um, I think that was good, good for me. And um, I think it, it uh, helped me uh, be more, um, it helped me gravitate towards churches that I thought were good for me mm. and my family and, and so on. And um, I wasn't stuck in um, any kind of a, a certain church or denomination. So that was very liberating for me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I appreciate that. Mm. Mm. What was it like growing up in a religious home for you? So we weren't, we, it wasn't so much religious as it was, conservative maybe okay. like like we we would visit churches here and there and i didn't learn until later in life that my mom and dad were got born again at a uh billy graham crusade in toronto oh wow and, um but they you know they were they were conservative and um spiritual and believers i would say but <clears throat> i i grew up in a home where you know there was um my dad was British oh. and um, he was very much into like the uh, um, the Templars and uh, the lost tribe of Israel and mm. the British Israelites and Jewish eating like dietary laws. And like my dad was very kind of like that. Okay. And he would have books in the house like, uh, about other like 
gods like uh what was that book um gods where you know talking about crop circles and the pyramids uh. and all these trees in the world and and you know a, a lot about like demons and you know all all this stuff angels and uh end times apocalyptic literature and so you know i you know i got introduced to a, a bunch of that stuff but also c.s lewis and you know this kind of thing so it was kind of a mixed bag where my dad was a reader and curious and as a result i was too but yeah. it was quite a broad um what we'd say religious sort of a thing you know yeah. um yeah yeah it's kind of strange Hugely broad, hugely broad. I mean, yeah. from crop circles to C.S. Lewis, you wouldn't usually no. put them in the same home. No wonder I'm such a weirdo. <laughs> I mean, it's the the breadth of of I guess knowledge that you would have been exposed to as a child would you know of course that's going to naturally provide you know a space for curiosity um, and learning. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Um... You know, my my dad was uh, was very into. <clears throat> I wouldn't say conspiracy theories, but theories, <laughs> that, that, <laughs> ideas. Yeah. So, you know, uh, you know, with um, different Russian leaders being the Antichrist, or you know, um, different different things like that. Like what what got me saved. Mm. Was I was scared into the kingdom because of end time theology mm. and being left behind. Yeah, like that whole left behind stuff mm. had a profound effect on my life. Okay, and you know, and then my dad was interested in demons, and I've I've been to exorcisms and you know all all this kind of stuff and uh, workshops and uh, late great. Planet Earth and uh, Satan's alive and well on planet Earth and you know all this kind of stuff. So oh. yeah, I had quite an upbringing. But like yeah. I said, on the other hand, I was surrounded by like encyclopedias and C.S. Lewis and and authors like that as well. So it was interesting to yeah. say the least. And mm. and I'm sitting here going, you know, how does somebody who is surrounded by that end up? you know, being born again. But like you said, fear does tend to, you know, put the fear motivates us. So, yeah. so um, yeah. When, um, when did that fear sort of come to its peak and you, as you say, were born again? I would have been about 15 or 16 years old. Okay. And, um, you know, I was surrounded by hellfire and brimstone kind of preaching yeah. at that time with the Baptist church and this guy was into demons and exorcisms and all this, this Baptist pastor <clears throat> and, um, and time stuff. Mm. And, you know, we, we watched all the left behind stuff and um, that, it wasn't, what was it called left behind? Anyway, uh, it wasn't called left behind at that. There was something, a precursor to that. But uh, it was all about being left behind and, you know, um, uh, focus on the Middle East and yeah. hit, you know, events that were happening that seemed to be ushering in the hen end times. And, um, yeah, so it, was, it, it terrified me. Yeah. 
really honestly was one of those who was profoundly uh, terrified of being left behind or, mm -hmm. you know, coming from school, nobody was home and assuming that the rapture had taken place. Yeah, yeah. And I think that there is even, I mean, most Christians are taught the doctrine of, of hell because it's sort of the, at the core, but um, the rapture is is an entirely different sort of scenario almost to that concept mm -hmm. of, you know, waking up and and there being no one there or, like you said, coming home from school and no one being there. Um, you know, I'm yep. lucky that I, and this statement has probably never come out of my mouth. I'm lucky I was only sort of taught the doctrine of hell, not the, not rapture because, you know, that concept of being left behind would be terrifying for a young person, mm. for a child mm. to, to hear that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At what point did it go from, I mean, obviously it, it came out, it was born out of fear, obviously, but. Um, how did that then turn into um, theological college and being a pastor? Where did how did that happen? I I think um, like as I as I grew up and you know I I ended we ended up switching to the Pentecostal church and there you have another whole bag of tricks yes. with <laughs> speaking in tongues and miracles yeah. and healing and yeah. prophecy and and you know all that stuff, but the music was cooler yeah. and, um, you know, things like that. And my, we had a, we got a new pastor who was young and, and he was really cool. In fact, um, you know, <clears throat> my mom just died a few weeks ago oh. and at the funeral, uh, this pastor showed up with his wife mm. and, uh, like he, he was instrumental in my life because he was cool. He was hip. Yeah. And it was cool to be a believer, be a Christian. And, you know, he he also read and he also wrote and he he had shows and everything on like the vision TV and things like this. And and uh, he was in fact, he was the one who gave Lisa and I our very first premarital counseling session. And so um, Lisa and I've been married now for 43 years, um, going on 44 years. And so I said, well, pastor, you know, must have worked yeah so it you know uh and and so through through him and his ministry um you know i i found myself interested in furthering my education so i applied to a bible college mm -hmm. and i started actually as a music major and then switched to theology and then um you know i got into the greek and the hebrew and the all that stuff and then that got me interested in new testament studies and I decided to go to Gordon Conwell where there was some top shelf New Testament scholars. And I, I got in there and I, at this point now I was starting to drift away from Pentecostalism. Okay. And conservative theology and Pentecostal things. And um, I ended up uh, serving as an assistant at a Presbyterian church. And I got interested in reform theology and I ended up, getting another degree um, to uh, the equivalent of an MDiv, Master of Divinity, mm. so I could serve as a pastor, but I got very interested in Reformed theology. And, you know, so that that's how it all developed. It was all very slow yeah. um, development of my theological world. And then 
you know, now I wouldn't call myself a Reformed theologian at all. Uh, I still appreciate many Reformed theologians and so on, but um, I wouldn't say that's my camp anymore. But, you know, that it was instrumental in me developing my own spirituality and theological thinking for sure. Mm. I'm so sorry about your mom. Oh, thank you. I've been... Yeah, I've, I yeah i i obviously have been you know i saw it on social media it's always hard regardless of you know how when it happens grief is hard so i'm sorry thank you she oh. was she was seven um she lived a long life but she went very quickly which yeah. on the one hand uh is a blessing because she would have hated it a yeah. longer thing so it was a blessing that way, but it was also shocking that she went so quick. And she was the kind of person that, you know, I could call up at any time and we could just chat about anything. And so yeah. I'm really going to miss that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which is weird because she is very conservative, <laughs> but but she loved my work. Yeah. Secretly, I think on the surface, she was conservative, more conservative to um, keep dad happy. <laughs> down inside she was a little more liberal yeah um, okay but a little more a little more rebellious inside <laughs> yeah 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 uh, what were you like as a pastor i was uh i think i was a pretty good pastor actually i like i said i <coughs> i always gravitated towards churches that um i felt were going to provide me with a place where I could grow, where I felt free to grow. I never went in with the idea of I of a top-down kind of a structure to church ministry. I always imagined myself as walking alongside the people and us growing together. Yeah. And um so I found I Fortunately, I found churches that were very much like that, that, you know, of course, I still had to wrestle with the idea of ministry that many people had in their mind, mm. that I should be up there, you know, sort of like a, a priest over the people um, and and so on. But I, I was I was more like down at their level and, and us exploring and discovering together. Mm. And that was that was always my style yeah. and um to the point where the last church i served which is not far from here a vineyard church i served it for about 15 years and it was very much like that and it was a wonderful wonderful experience and you know i've seen pictures of uh of shepherds with their flocks and <clears throat> I, I've seen some that really, really impressed me where the the shepherd really walks with the sheep. He doesn't, he's not out front leading them like sheep, yeah. you know, they'll, they'll, they'll find their own way. Mm. Shepherd is walking with them and, or even behind them. Yep. And he's looking out for danger, looking out for animals, looking out for poison weeds, looking for water, mm. looking for shelter, you know, all the but it's very much walking together. Now, the sheep analogy falls because you know sheep are stupid, and I don't, I don't believe people are stupid, and yeah. you know, so there, there's that. But yeah. 
quality of walking along with your people and, mm -hmm. and just with them. And, you know, you've been trained and hopefully you have the wisdom required to know where the pitfalls are in spiritual development and, and growth. And you know how to help people and, and help guide them and walk alongside them in their spiritual journeys. And that's what I, I did. Yeah. And that's what I continue to do now online though, mm. after I left. Yeah. Yeah. And so I obviously, you know, have been following you for a little while. And so I know very well that you are very um, queer affirming and inclusive. And so how was that navigating that as a pastor of a church? I, it never became uh, a thing until the last church I was at. Now I've, I've, I've had gay friends. Uh, I've um, had, I've met and had conversations with and members who were trans mm -hmm. and um, so on. But for me, it was never, you no, know, you're, you know, you're, excluded or anything like that i wrestled with it in my head theologically how mm. how does this line up but yeah. i never let it affect my relationships with them or, mm. or anything like that it wasn't a real big deal because i was a i was mostly a country pastor of small churches okay where, where you know it wasn't really a, a thing that i knew of yeah but in the last church I was, there were there were gay people who who would come, and I knew, <clears throat> like I remember one um, lesbian couple uh, said, "We would we be welcome at your church?" I said, "Absolutely, yes, please come," and they they came, and I looked out and I noticed them holding hands, and I go, "Well, here we go." I knew, here we go. Yeah. Uh, so it, it was it was one thing um to you know ideologically say we're affirming and accepting it's another thing when you see it and feel it and you're there physically so and uh the vineyard unfortunately i think i got out i'm glad i got out when i did because it wasn't long after that that the vineyard church in canada voted to be not affirming like they actually voted no right and, and um i'm glad i'm not a part of that mm, yeah mm -hmm. it's um i whenever i talk to um to queer people about their experiences in the church um i will often say and this is often you know from my own experience and my wife and i's experience um that welcoming is not always safe when it comes to a church or welcoming is not always affirming because the theory of saying that we're welcoming and all are all are able to come is not always what it is in reality um mm -hmm. so so it's yeah that's a, a oh, I, didn't, I didn't know you were in a uh, same sex relationship yeah marriage. yeah cool. <laughs> um it, um i mean it's one of the um one of your favorite um one of my favorite artworks of yours is the the love over verses one um oh yeah because I, and i think i love it because one of the most heartbreaking parts of mine my story is that you know they it, people who were my family chose theology and and scripture over me and so i think that's why i love it the most um 
But so how does, how does a pastor become not a pastor? Because, and I've spoken to a few and um, my, my supervisor here in Australia um, is Matt Glover, who I'm pretty sure, you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> he was a cartoonist uh, too. Is he still yes. cartoonist? Okay. Uh, a, a little bit, but not as much yeah. as what I think he, he used to be, but um, yeah. So. Oh, hi. Yeah, small world. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm always really interested to know what leads a pastor to not become a pastor anymore, because that's a big well, deal. I, I, I've got. <laughs> um, so along with me not feeling like I needed to be loyal to any one denomination, mm. I have uh, discovered through the grapevine that my contract has been, uh, has not been renewed. That was uh -huh. one time. Another time I, uh, was fired. Mm. Another time I just quit. Yeah. And then another time, the last time I quit. Right. So the times I was fired, I was fired twice. Um, because I, decided to take a stand against what I thought was control issues in the church. And so I was abruptly fired from bo both of those ministries. The times I quit, the first time um, I was invited to go plant a Presbyterian church. And I thought this is great because I can start from scratch and I can turn this, create a church I think will be amazing and I will enjoy Mm. And everybody love. And so I started this church and within two years, it was a, the most boring church on the planet. I hated it. Oh, it it no. just, it, it was a Presbyterian church and all the lapsed Presbyterians came out of the woodwork and infiltrated the church and decided to make it a good old Presbyterian church. Mm. I hated it. I hated my job. But it led to one of the most profound moments of my life because one night I was going to bed. Lisa is there. Our three kids, our little kids are sleeping. And I felt so depressed, so down, so hopeless, so trapped. And because, you know, they're providing our housing, our, our vehicle allowance, um, my salary, our kids are in school. Yeah, you know, everything. I felt so trapped and I thought I have to do this for the rest of my life. You know, like I hated it. And I went to sleep completely depressed and hopeless, oh. but I had a dream. Yeah. And I had a dream. And in this dream, all I heard was the voice that said, it's time. Mm. And I, <laughs> I woke up laughing oh. hysterically. And Lisa woke up and she starts laughing and the kids come running in and they jump on the bed and they're laughing. Like, what's so funny? What's so funny? I said, I'm not trapped at all. We can just quit. Yeah. I can just quit. And Lisa said, okay, let's do it. And, and so I quit and we went on and began one of the greatest event adventures of our lives. So what that taught me was, I wasn't trapped. I was just afraid of being free because it was yeah. going to be risky. It was, you know, that's 
it was a huge, huge lesson for me. Mm. And I also learned that when you take a risk to take care of yourself like that, somehow the earth rises to meet your feet somehow. So then in 2010, I was facing the same kind of thing where I I was realizing, you know, I was developing, my theology was developing, my philosophy, my style of ministry, and people were becoming more and more uncomfortable with, you know, do do you, does your pastor believe in God anymore? And and, uh, I realized, okay, my time's up. I can feel it. Plus, head Mm -hmm. office was telling me they would like to see me run my material through them first. Uh, and I was like, okay, no, I, you know, and I, I would have felt trapped normally, but I, I knew I'm not trapped. Mm-hmm. I can just walk away. And so I did. Yeah. I and um, because what's most important to me is my personal freedom to be my most authentic self. And yeah. I want that freedom for everybody else, mm-hmm. including LGBTQ plus people. Yeah. And, um, and, and so I walked away and I'm, I decided to see if I could make Naked Pastor a full-time gig. And mm. I've been, you know, it had been in existence for five years at this point. And and so I, I put all my efforts into Naked Pastor and here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love, um, I love the earth will rise to me, your feet. That's beautiful. It's an uh, Irish. Yeah. May the earth rise to meet your feet, I think is some kind of a toast or a, Irish blessing or something. Yeah. It's almost like um, you had like a full circle experience with fear because you started out by sort of, you know, coming to the Christian faith around fear because, you know, fear of the rapture. And then there was this realization of freedom that you weren't trapped. It was just fear of the, of the unknown and fear of what risk could bring. Um, And so it's just like this nice full circle of the understanding of the concept of fear almost. Fear, man, the the church. Yeah. You know, the church, uh, people think I'm an enemy of the church. I'm not. I am an enemy of its some of its ways and methods and ideas and yeah, uh, um, those it hires to perpetuate its agenda or whatever um yeah. Uh, but yeah it the church is an expert in in weaponizing fear yeah absolutely yeah so i fight against that a lot like my my work has kind of a, like a a double edge to it one is where i really encourage people to find the freedom to be their most authentic self mm-hmm. The other edge is I'm going to fight tooth and nail against any buddy mm. or idea or institution that tries to limit that freedom. Yeah. Yeah. I'm brutal when it comes to that. Yeah. As you know, in some of my cartoons and, yeah. uh, but I, I, I'm very encouraging and validating and affirming to those people who are trying to, you know, live free mm. and, and authentic. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think I will, often say you know i'm not anti-god i'm not 
pro-God, but I am anti-fundamentalism and, you know, and um, imposing on human rights. Um, and so I think, you know, that's that sort of sounds a little bit like what you're saying as well, is that it's about the systems that are there that are often um, the issue and the harm there. Um, So much, yeah, yeah. so much harm, and um, it's almost like uh, it's almost like it's gotten almost ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. Where, you know, the, the church, you would think, would aspire to be inspired by the Sermon on the Mount, let's say. But people are even now saying, you know, that's too woke. It's too woke. Yeah. I'm Yeah. not into wokeness. And they actually do the opposite. Mm. It's actually, Yeah. I, I've been reading Bell Hooks lately and how um, she says at one point where it's actually become admirable to not share, Yeah. not help the people. Yeah. And, and um, so it, it's like it's become the actual opposite where the church is willing to condone and even use violence Mm. Mm. and discrimination uh greed and all the bad things Yeah. and uh, it it just baffles me Mm. Absolutely. i don't get it. Yeah. yeah cognitive dissonance there Absolutely. Yeah. i mean the the ability to to say you you're following the teachings of Jesus and then sit under a message of hate and then go out and perpetuate that hate. How does that even make sense anyway? Yeah. Yeah. It's And I think it doesn't. I think that, you know, I sort of, I tend to go with, you know, sometimes if I try and make it make sense, it sort of, it, can almost sound like I'm trying to water it down or make it more palatable or, you know, it doesn't make sense. It's at times stupidity and ridiculous. And at times I go, if I don't laugh, I'll cry because it's just insane. Um, but so what was Yeah. your, Hmm. You know what I heard today? Can I say one more yeah, thing? of course. You know what I heard today? New York Times was doing an interview for an article, and they interviewed a whole bunch of um, um, Trump supporters, evangelicals. Yep. evangelical Christians and why they're not going to church anymore. And you want to know why? Why? Their savior now is Donald Trump. Oh my They gosh. actually say, we don't worship God. We worship Donald Trump. He's Oh. our savior. Capital S, savior. Oh my gosh. It's like, that's quite a leap in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, it's huge. It's like a, a universe-sized chasm. Um, oh, my goodness. And terrifying. You know, that's uh, like when you said it, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's terrifying for, for that to be the reality of some people. Um, oh, Yeah. I, I feel like that could be a whole other conversation. <laughs> um, Mm. But what was what was your personal deconstruction journey like? What did that look like for you? Uh, to anybody looking at me from the outside, it was very peaceful. 
<laughs> now I know deconstruction <laughs> is anything but peaceful. <laughs> so, so, okay. So I graduated from uh, seminary the first time um, when I was about twenty-five years old. Mm. And it was on the day of graduation. Now, I'd already done all my papers, submitted all my documents, you know, everything. And I was just waiting for graduation day. And, you know, my parents came, Lisa's parents came. And I was graduating with my master's cum laude in New Testament studies. Mm. But I had I had some time. So we had gone down to Harvard Coop. And we're doing some shopping and I noticed a book on a shelf and I just picked it up and bought the book. It sounded interesting. And I had some time to do some leisurely reading mm -hmm. and nothing that was required. It's not required. I've already completed all my required reading. So uh, people are going to ask you, what was the book? What was the book? So I'm going to tell you <laughs> the author was James Breach and it's a tiny little book and it was called the silence of Jesus. So he was a professor at York University in New Testament Studies in, in Canada, in Toronto. And this, this was back in the 80s, okay? And didn't make a, I don't think the book was an important book, a big, didn't make a big splash or anything, but it just attracted me. Mm. I read the book and it killed me. Um. It killed me. Because like I had been up to that point a bibliologist, like I was Bible, 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 Bible. Mm. I've still got... I still got Bibles from when wow. I was a teenager with all the colored margins and colored yeah. crayon and underlining and writing in the margins and all that kind of thing. And then I took four or more years of Greek. I took two years of Hebrew. I took a year of Aramaic, oh uh, all the biblical languages. And I, so I was in deep mm. in, in the Bible, but I read this little book. And it made me wonder if the Bible was inspired. Oh, wow. If it was inspired, if it was inerrant. And I, I was devastated. Yeah. It, it wasn't like I, I said, oh, it's not inspired. I, just, I wondered if it was. Yeah, so even just the I question. I was so devastated. I actually had my um, graduation gown on. In, in the bedroom, getting ready to go. And I was freaking out. And Lisa actually had to grab me by the shoulders and say, you have to go to your graduation ceremony. Mm. It was, and that's where my deconstruction began right there. And then, you know, fast forward now, how many years? 85, 95, 2005, 2015. You know, we're getting close to 40 years. Yeah. Uh, where I'm, I've, I've decided deconstruction is a way of life. Yes. I'm going to keep on deconstructing until the day I die. And um, so for me, it was just the planting of a question. It was like, it was like corrupt computer code mm. that got in and just started doing its work of unraveling all of my certainties mm. and all of my dogmas and all of my assumptions and opinions and conditioning yeah through Buddhism in there for you all of my conditioning yeah. um logical spiritual religious church all that mm -hmm. and and so 
here I am deconstructing on the inside, very, very slowly, like a glacial melt, but ministering at the same time. And so that's why I found it very necessary for me to gravitate towards churches where I felt I had that space to do that. Yeah. And, and I was fortunate enough to find places where I could ask questions from the pulpit and say, you know, I'm struggling with this and I know people here are too, and let's talk about this. And, you know, so yeah, my deconstruction was like that where um, it, it just, that's where it started. Yeah. Um, and and then it just did its work over the decades. Mm. Now, some people, I don't know about you, but I, I know some people who deconstruct overnight. It's like, I was duped. It was all bullshit. I'm done. Bye. <laughs> yeah. I I don't know how that would even look. I don't think I've ever met somebody who has deconstructed overnight. I probably would um would agree with you i'm not sure that deconstruction is is a destination i don't know that you just arrive yeah i don't think that you in the same way that i when i talk about healing healing is not a destination it's a you know it's a process it's a journey i hate the word journey which but um you know it is it's it's just a a, like you said a way of life um What was it like deconstructing before deconstruction was an, like, it's a very hot word and, you know, a very trendy word. What was it like deconstructing before it was a thing to do? So um, in 2008, I was reading a philosopher, a French philosopher, Jacques Derrida, Mm. and he actually invented the word deconstruction. Wow. The French version. Right. But it, de- deconstruction. <laughs> but uh, he invented the word. Yeah. But I was I was being re- I was uh, invited to go to a workshop where we were all given a bunch of textbooks on hermeneutics, mm. how to study the text, the Bible, and in all those books was a lot of talk about deconstruction, mm. and the whole point of it was to show us the error of deconstruction, but I became a convert. Like it actually, <laughs> yeah. Like I, it made sense to me, it perfectly described yeah. what I was experiencing. And so I co-opted the word. Mm. Innocently, naively, I started using the word deconstruction of my beliefs yeah. way back in 2008, 2009. I've got the receipts because it's actually in my blog. And, um, so then when I left the ministry in 2010, I actually had people calling me, you sound like a deconstructionist no. and stuff like that. And, and, uh, and then in 2012, I started my online community called The Lasting Supper, where I actually invited people who were experiencing the deconstruction of their beliefs and their faith, mm. uh, a safe place to do that. And, and so I just, you know what? I just grabbed a word that described a universal human experience yeah. of questioning your beliefs, which has happened all down through history as long as humankind has been on the planet. Yeah. We've always questioned our beliefs, always. I just use the word deconstruction to label it instead of backsliding. Yeah. Oh, my God. Or goodness. being of the devil or, yeah. you know, whatever. So um, I, I started using the word way back in 2008 or nine and, to to just 
uh, label something that has been going on for centuries. And it used to be, used to be in the old days, even in my lifetime, that you could be in a church and if you started questioning your beliefs, you had two choices. One was shut up mm. so you can stay. Yep. Or if you started voicing your thoughts, you would be either forced out or kicked out or made uncomfortable and feel like you needed to leave or whatever, marginalized. Yeah. And, um, but things started changing mm. in my lifetime where people were becoming more and more vocal and starting to realize, you know what? I don't need you. I don't need the church. And especially during COVID, it that ramped yes. up. Like, yeah. They I actually don't need the church. Mm. And, um, so, yeah, deconstruction has become a thing now. Mm. I think people are uh, using the word wrongly, mm. uh, weaponizing it mm. like like they always do and, and making it a bad thing, an evil thing. Mm. They're calling people deconstructionists. Yes. And talking about deconstructionism. Yeah. And as soon as you do that, then you've isolated the gene and mm. you can persecute it. Yeah. And so th that's what I see happening. That's distressing me right now. Mm. Yeah, there is. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't take long, right? It doesn't take long for somebody to, to take terminology or something and, and use a way to suit their agenda that they're wanting. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I mean, I think there are so many, I, te I actually don't tend to use the word deconstruction a whole lot. Um, I tend mm -hmm. to use the word detangling, but, you know, it is just a bit of a, it, it, it's semantics. They all mean the same thing. They all mean questioning, pulling apart, looking at it from different angles, all of those things. Um, oh. But it's um, it doesn't take long for groups of people to, um to weaponize something for their own agenda um well it's uh i have another analogy i like that i use and um i call it marie condoing your faith <laughs> oh that's right so, marie condo is the yeah. minimalist who's i just adore her i think she's amazing yeah and became a sensation because what she encouraged people to do was to go through all your belongings and anything that didn't spark joy, mm. you got rid of it. Yeah. And do that with beliefs. Do that with your yeah. family. And, and, you know, declutter. And don't buy new shit. Like, just yeah. declutter. I love uh, that. Yeah. So, yeah. Marie, come in your faith. Yeah. yeah. What brings you joy and peace? What sparks your joy? Love. <laughs> serious, yeah. I a revelation. Uh, it was like a revelation. I don't like using that word because it sounds like I was visited by some divine thing. <laughs> what I mean was I my eyes were open to that love is everything. Yeah. And I I made a commitment. In fact, I posted it online that I choose love. Mm. I choose love. That's quoting Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. But um, I choose love and it's all about love. And I believe in an ethic of love mm. and love 
is nothing unless it's manifested in policy. That's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Yeah. And um, and action. Love is what love does. That's yeah. another. I think that's I think that's Bell Hooks said that. Yeah. Um, and um, so that's what's become most important to me. And I start with myself mm. and my wife and my children and my yeah. friend and my online community and my haters and my enemies <laughs> and every, everything. It's all about love. Because yeah. love is discriminant. Mm. I compare love to, well, I didn't start this, but like um, it is said in the gospels that Jesus said that justice is like rain and like sunshine, it falls on everyone. It's indiscriminate. Yeah. If they know gravity back then, he might have used gravity as an example as well. It draws everybody. It's not discriminate. Yeah. It's indiscriminate. That's what love is. And the the people who think love is you're allowed in. Oh no, you're not allowed in. That's not love. That's discrimination. That's not an expression of love. Yeah. Um, so I choose I choose love, and I'm I'm trying to practice that from the center out. Mm. and include everybody yeah and um, yeah it's that's that's what brings me joy and so from the day-to-day thing like lisa and i are madly in love still and uh Mm. so we we just love being together and love doing Mm. things together and um going on little trips or going on walks with our dog or Mm. you know just being together and talking and um that to me and and we we got to spend christmas together with our three kids oh nice and and, um yeah that was down in colorado Mm. we all met there and like it's just there we are drinking nice wine listening to good music cooking good food and laughing and talk what can be better than that seriously yeah and and um you know and then meeting people and loving people and helping people that that to me brings me so much joy yeah it's and i'm i'm hoping i'm not sort of like crossing over in what i've seen on social media it's your artwork that's love without all the fine print isn't it yeah Yeah. and that's what that's yeah so that's what i hear you know when you're talking about that is love without all the fine print you know it's without all of the the little like without the little asterisks that says you need to read all of these conditions and all of these um it's the without the terms and conditions that nobody ever reads when they sign up to something or when they purchase something um it's without all of the terms and conditions so i love that um Uh, the story of the i think about this every day because i get it every day mm. Uh, the good samaritan and Jesus mm-hmm. tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. Yeah. And in response to the question, love when he says, love your neighbor as yourself, and they say, but who is my neighbor? Yeah. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. What if my neighbor's Hitler? What yeah. if my neighbor's trans? What if my neighbor's gay? What if my neighbor's trans? What if my neighbor's black? What if my neighbor's, you know, whatever. Yeah. And so... All whenever I say, and I, I say this every day, something like that, mm. love is love, or love over verses, or love is all, or um, 
love without the fine print immediately somebody might say what about hitler mm. or what about the mega or what about this or what about that it sounds like you're saying but who is my neighbor you're trying to get out of it you're yeah. trying to get out of it. so um i think that's the challenge for me i'm not saying it's easy but mm. um, that's that's what love is to me it's just yeah it's like the range like the sun it's like gravity it's indiscriminate and everybody gets some <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely how do you how do you deal with the the hate that you would get online from from people how do you deal with that i have a little story to tell you happened today where um i posted a cartoon that had to do with love obviously but mm -hmm. Anyway, somebody said, this is stupid. So, and that was all he said. So I, normally I just scroll past. I don't respond at all. That's the best strategy for me is just ignore, move on. If it's hateful to somebody, mm -hmm. if they're hateful towards me, I'll, I'll, I, I'll leave it out. But if they're hateful towards somebody else, I'll delete it. Yeah. If they persist, I'll block them. Mm. But he said it's stupid. And so I thought, why? Why would somebody say that? Mm. Like, so I looked, I looked at his profile picture, and there he is, a young man, good looking man, with a beautiful wife, three beautiful children, smiling. Mm. I'm thinking, you know, there's a young man who's on fire for his theology like he just you know and he's he's trying to do the right thing yeah and if i was in his brain with what he's experienced and been taught and all that i might have said the same thing mm. so i think that's what love does it doesn't mean uh you don't try to um uh use teachable moments or or protest or you know stand up for rights or it doesn't mean any of that and and just because love is indiscriminate doesn't mean it doesn't practice discernment those two things are are you know different but i it, it softened my heart immediately and made me realize you know this guy you know i bet a lot of people and this is true too a lot of people come to me later on and say, you know, I was really hard on you back then. I hated everything you did. And now I'm your biggest fan. Yeah. And that all, that happens a lot. Mm. So everybody's on the, I was going to say spectrum. I don't mean, <laughs> I mean everything yeah. on the spectrum of a spiritual. Yeah. And to have grace for that and love that. Yeah. And I think, and I think that anybody who has gone through deconstruction, there is, well, for me personally, anyway, I look back on the me from a decade ago and I would have hated the me I am right now because I, you know, the me from 10 years ago would have, you know, called out the stuff that I'm posting would have said religious trauma. That's not a thing like, you know, and I would have been that person. And so for me, there's, there's always an element of like, don't forget where you came from almost don't forget the, you know, 
don't forget the asshole that you were essentially like, you know, and, and I mean, and that comes with great pain because of the harm that I perpetuated and the system that I held up as well. Um, but that's just all part of deconstruction and, and sort of unraveling that journey. Um, but yeah, I think, um, mm. I think it's, it's important to not, you know, forget, um, the humanity in a human, um, when, when you look at them, regardless of, of what they're spilling out. Um, yeah. Yeah. And love doesn't mean enabling, right. You know, so it, you oh, know, no. it still means, you know, calling out all of those things, but it doesn't mean. Yeah, like, if, uh, like if, if there were a real person in my living room mm. um, and they were saying, talking in ways people talk to me, I would say, you know, uh, I'd like you to leave because, yeah. you know, I, I can handle it, but it's really upsetting everybody. Mm. And uh, you're not welcome back until you learn how to uh, behave. Yeah. And be respectful. And, yeah. And be respectful of others. And, and so um, I, I, I just sort of imagine myself, uh, you know, treating people as I would treat them face to face. And uh, I, the, the, I'm, I'm most diligent on my Instagram account. Um, the other accounts, it's hard. It makes it harder like Twitter or X now. Yes. You can't delete comments and stuff. So it's very, very difficult to moderate mm. community there. But Instagram still gives you quite a bit of ability to to moderate a community and keep it as safe as possible. So if people if people are bad mouthing me, that's one thing. But when they express hate mm -hmm. or violence or anything towards another person or a group, yeah, I delete them immediately, and I don't feel one iota of b badness about that or regret. Yeah, because yeah. you're just you're keeping a room safe and you're not saying you're an evil person. You're gone forever. It's mm -hmm. like, look, you can't talk that way. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Uh, and, and you can come back if you can behave, mm. you know, and with respect, even if you disagree with them. So. Absolutely. Now I've been finishing all of these episodes by asking what, what is your message, words of wisdom for somebody who is fresh into their process of deconstruction? They might have mm -hmm. just left church or they're just that first question is just intercepted. What would you say to them? Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to the shit show. Welcome, <laughs> Welcome to my nightmare. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, put on. Belt and wear a helmet but enjoy the view i mean there's nowhere you have to be you know what when you finally get to where you think you're supposed to be you will realize you've been there the whole time yeah you're there you're already there there's no more effort there's no more ought and must and shoulds mm. you're there you're free enjoy the space enjoy the peace um and you know there's reach out to people um, I'm, I, I'm really good at responding to people, mm -hmm. Sam, I bet you are, uh, yep. like just reach out, find communities, join my Instagram account. Like, uh, there's, but you know, yeah, wear your seatbelt, wear a helmet. Um, it can be bumpy. And I think a couple of the biggest pain points people experience when they are deconstructing is relationships. Mm -hmm. How do I navigate this now with my mom, my dad, my brothers, my sisters, 
you know, family and friends and all that kind of thing. And the other one is loneliness, which they're kind of related, but church has a corner on the market and providing instant community. And when you leave that, it feels like a huge vacuum and um, mm. it takes a while to learn how to find your balance again and learn how to be human and social. <laughs> so yeah. the, the two big ones, but um, you can do it. I did it. Sam did it. Tons mm. of people are doing it. And um, it doesn't have to be lonely though. Yeah. And um, reach out to people. Mm, absolutely. There are communities out there. There are people there are. Out there. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, my pleasure, Sam. Thank you. I enjoyed our conversation. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and if people do not have not seen, please jump over to Instagram to check out David's uh, cartoons because they are fabulous. And I guarantee there is one for everybody that will speak to you and your story. And so, Doom Scroll. Mm -hmm. David's Instagram account. <laughs> um, yes. Make sure you find one because I guarantee you will, um, if not more than one. So um, it's, you know, it's a, a wonderful space and some will make you laugh and some will make you cry and everything in between. So um, it's a, it's a really great space. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Surface. Until next time, take care, stay true to who you are, and remember, your voice and your story matters, always.